0: I'm Daniel Giacopelli. It's the 26th of May, and this is The Courier Daily. We've been talking with small business owners every day to find out how they're coping and adapting to the crisis. And today, we're heading over to Portland, Oregon, to catch up with Eric Brott and Amanda Bruegel. Courier readers might remember Eric and Amanda on the front cover of our Work Better, Live Smarter issue last year, in Feb-March 2019. By day, the two both work as doctors— Amanda's a women's cancer surgeon, and Eric, a family medicine physician. But at all points in between, they're the husband and wife duo behind Gnu, a fantastic clothing and accessories brand influenced by what they call Native Americana. And in fact, they say Gnu's the only Native American-owned denim line. I thought we'd catch up to find out how they've kept their heads on straight recently, given doctors have, by their very nature, been in the thick of things during the health crisis. And entrepreneurs, as you know... At a tough time right now across the board.
1: I guess I would say it feels like it's been changing every week. From my perspective, like early in the announcement of the this being declared a pandemic, and as the global hospital system and our local hospital system ramped up to respond, to like prepare and respond for what we thought was potentially going to be a very difficult situation. It literally felt like I was changing like every few days. I was kind of put on what was called like surge call. So I was one of the backup providers for when we started having more COVID patients come to the hospital. Yet my first week I was supposed to do that, I got called and there's like, don't come to the hospital. We don't need you right now. Stay home, stay away from folks, just stay healthy and safe. A few weeks later then I was actually in the hospital as a COVID provider for people who are admitted with COVID. But it's been kind of like this perpetual weekend mixed with you don't really know what's gonna happen that day or that week. It's been hard to plan sometimes, but from that perspective, it's been also very dynamic.
0: Amanda, has that been the same for you? Has it been equally dynamic and unplannable?
2: You know, for me, it's been just a little bit different. So I'm a cancer surgeon. Our group, so there's four of us in our group, we had to sort of put our heads together and look at the best expert advice we could to determine what patients need immediate care surgery, chemotherapy, and who is it safe and reasonable to do delayed treatment. It's been dynamic, but I haven't been in the house quite so much as, as Eric has. It's been, you know, it's stressful to go into the hospital, but it's also been nice to have just a few elements of normalcy. Going into the hospital, operating, seeing patients, I feel like I get a little less cabin fever than than maybe Eric has. So that's been a blessing. You know, we you know, we're wearing masks and doing the PPE and all that. So there is that element of stress and COVID's always hanging over your head. But for me it's actually a de intensification of my life, but still some normalcy.
0: I mean, in the best of times, you guys have incredibly intense day jobs, and you're also running this brand on the side. Now, obviously, you have the, you know, the specter of COVID over your head. Has this affected your plans, the time that you get to spend
1: on the brand? I think that there's been a lot of elements of life that have been whittled down, and our world has become smaller and our ability to focus on the things that are immediately at hand has increased so albeit there's this stress of covid there's the stress of what's happening in our community our country our world our ability to focus hyper locally and be intentional about our day and our life has actually allowed us the ability to focus on what is here and present as opposed to potentially being pulled and distracted by a whole bunch of other things at the same time
0: you guys are really focused on the community, right? I mean, that's a really big part of who you are and what you do. And, you know, obviously right now is a lot of, we're a time when people are rallying around their local communities and, you know, their communities farther afield as well. I mean, has this made you double down on
1: that aspect in any sense? I think so. Because I think you reached out to me after I sent you that PSA announcement, right? And so that was one thing that we were able to make literally in two days. And it was the first time that there had been a real positive kind of upbeat energy about COVID in indigenous communities and like what you're supposed to do during this time. So like protect the ones you love while still practicing your ways. And I think that has been a good example of how we've been able to pivot at this time to respond to the requests of the tribes or the needs that are out there in our region.
0: Yeah, I saw you posting about that on on Instagram. Could you guys both give just a bit of a debrief for those listening on how COVID has affected indigenous populations? Because everything I've read says that it's had a, you know, disproportionately large effect in most of the states where it's hit.
2: You know, when things were first sort of picking up, you know, late February, early March, states were starting to see numbers tick up, governors were making plans, the federal government was starting to distribute information. I think tribes were almost wholeheartedly left out of any conversation about how you would provide care. We were at a tribal outreach clinic shortly before the governor placed the shelter at home order here in our state. That community had 39 tests, and that was it for people with symptoms concerning for COVID. And I think that, you know, when you serve an area of 4,000 and you have 39 tests to try to provide care for our high-risk community, that just really shows you the sort of undervaluing and under-resourcing that goes on in Indian country.
0: 3-9.
2: 3-9. And it was very restrictive on who could get the test. You know, you had had to have been ruled out for influenza. You had had to have have a fever. Mm -hmm.
1: You had to have uh, lower respiratory symptoms. And you had to personally have traveled to China and or had contact with somebody who traveled to China.
2: So that's almost no one.
1: Yeah, it was no one. Yet we knew there were cases based on reports from Oregon almost two weeks earlier. There were cases in the rural area.
2: And that's just one sort of local example. But as as you've probably seen through sort of national media, the complete, I don't know, carnage of Navajo Nation and lack of support. I mean, it's beautiful that Doctors Without Borders is providing staff. But we have Doctors Without Borders as typically an international organization serving the needs of people in our own country. And to me, that's both beautiful and really, really sad.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was a GoFundMe from people in Ireland to help Navajo Nation and Hopi people. I mean, it's kind of like this, you know, this typical thing about, you know, whenever things go bad to individual Americans, there's always a a GoFundMe instead of state aid coming or, you know, some social safety net. We don't want to get, you know, weighed down into a political discussion, but are you guys frustrated generally by the federal government's reaction to what's going on even at the state level?
1: If you look at this from a larger or wider vantage point, this is a crisis within a crisis, and it's been decades and centuries in the making. It's not a matter of like two or three years in the making. So if you have a completely under-resourced system, there's no way it's going to respond. And I think that in general, as indigenous people, you know, our ancestors agreed to seed millions and millions of acres of highly resource-rich land for trade of things like education and health care. Like, we signed treaties with the U.S. government around this, yet we're not being provided the resources adequate to the task. And I think that what COVID-19 across Indian country has done is it's drawn back the shade on the abysmal under-resourcing and the intentional policies that have been in place for decades, if not centuries, that have allowed this circumstance to perpetuate. And... To me, it's a shame because we're one of the most resourced countries in the world and the people that were traded education and health care for their land are being allowed to have these circumstances exist that drive the ability for a pandemic to literally tear through a community. You know, people say, oh, the system's broken, the system's broken. The system is not broken. The system is achieving the result it's designed to achieve. If it was designed to achieve optimal health, optimal health care, then it would, but it's simply not designed to do that. It's achieving the result it's designed for. And I think that after this is all said and done, as a country, we need to take a real hard look at how we want to move forward together beyond this moment in time. Are we gonna go back to the status quo of, it being okay for hundreds and thousands of people to have really high mortality rates, whereas other people, because of where they live and their zip code and the resources they have, don't have the same mortality rates? I don't know. I think we'll see what we choose as a country moving forward from this.
0: For a bit of a, a scene shift right now, I mean, on the brand front, have you guys experienced a sharp decrease in sales or have you seen a rise in sales? What's it look like?
1: I think we've done some things as a brand that have helped illuminate who we are during this time. And also with the lack of retail stores being open, with the lack of larger entities spending on, you know, like digital ad spend or whatever, with some of the social entrepreneurship that we've done. So immediately when the stay at home order was issued, Amanda and I looked at each other. It's like, we got to do something for our community. And so we donated 40% of Gnu's total sales for the rest of that month to the Oregon Food Bank to feed people in our neighborhood, in our community. Our customers were the ones that made that happen. And it was not us. like in a week, we were able to donate with the Gnu family, a substantial donation to the Oregon Food Bank. And that was very heartening to see how people responded like that.
0: Yeah. And you guys have also done this campaign, hashtag Fam. So is that just generally a kind of a community PSA catch-all kind of hashtag? or Was that specifically about something?
1: I think it's this idea that we're more than a jacket or a pair of jeans or pants that you're gonna wear for a few weeks or months and then either donate or throw away. It's this idea that we're a community, a collective of people across the globe that envision a different future moving forward, where you buy fewer yet better things, and you're very conscious about sustainability and consumerism and what that means, and that fact that you have a choice to make a difference through the purchases you make.
0: Have the circumstances of COVID led to any sort of impact on your uh, supply chain where you get your materials from?
1: Well, the biggest impact we had is that we had a bunch of things that are being made in L.A., and the factory was retooled and repurposed to make masks for the state of California and for uh, hospital systems within the state of California. So while our garments had been cut and were sitting on the floor and were supposed to be done and delivered uh, by the end of March, they've literally been just there. Waiting as masks are sewn and delivered to people around the state of California. That's been a supply chain interruption for sure.
0: So just sitting there waiting to be finished. That must be frustrating. Obviously, given the circumstances, you realize it's for a good cause.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we just, we just fully understand the priority. We're fortunate that we have jobs that help us pay the bills. I think for brands that are completely reliant on their brand and the supply chain to make ends meet, I think it's much more intimidating and scary. But we're in a very privileged position where we can handle these bumps in the road and still um, feel secure in our ability to, you know, pay our bills and get food on the table.
0: And what about from a day-to-day routine point of view? Has this impacted You know, you come home from your day job and then you work on clothes or you, you know, you do it on the weekends or what, have you kind of worked less on the brand?
2: We've actually worked more on the brand. We have, we both travel quite a bit for work, like daytime work. And all of our travel has been canceled this spring and a lot of non-essential, non-critical meetings have been canceled. So we've actually found ourselves sort of moving toward a normal lifestyle where weekends are weekends and nights are nights. So we've been able to, finish up our our day job work and start working on GNU-related things earlier in the evening. And we've actually had an uptick in some of our sales. Bandanas are exceptionally popular right now. We are actually really enjoying our time together in the evenings to package orders and kind of work on these things. We don't have to steal time from ourselves so much. It's actually sort of getting incorporated into our daily lives. Uh, So that's been actually really nice.
0: The bandanas that you guys have on the website? Were you doing all of those prior or was that something that you pivoted to really quickly?
1: We had them all prior, which I think helped us. Like we had access to them. And so when people needed bandanas, especially like shout out to Brooklyn. Okay. You guys bought a ton of bandanas from (laughs) us. Brooklyn and Austin, Texas, those two places bought some serious bandanas from us. San Francisco. Love you guys.
0: (laughs) So really all you have like 70,000 bandanas going to Williamsburg or something like that.
1: Something like that. Like for real, Brooklyn, Brooklyn is wearing some serious GNU bandanas right now. You have
0: really cool ones. This Luck Texas one I'm looking at right now on your site.
1: Yeah, that was actually a casualty of the COVID pandemic. So we were one of a handful of brands that was invited to be a vendor at Willie Nelson's party at his ranch. And so that was a bandana we made for that event specifically. And then it got postponed until next year or canceled. That was one thing where, you know, we were supposed to set up on (laughs) the side porch at Willie's Ranch. I mean, can you imagine that? It's Willie Nelson, you know, and we're supposed to set up on his side porch and sell stuff. And when we talk like limited vendors, I think there were eight that are invited each year. You don't apply to go. And so for whatever reason, they found out about us that was one of the casualties. But yeah, we've been able to still move some luck bandanas because we could all use a little luck these days.
0: What's Portland like right now, guys? Is it opening up? Are there people shopping on the sidewalk? What's it like?
2: The weather's getting nice. So you know, when we first, the shelter at home first started, you'd see lots of people social distancing, but going for walks. Lots of dogs have been adopted, lots of walking, lots of beautiful gardening and home lawn manicuring going on. But in the past, I'd say a week or two, as the weather's gotten really sort of sunny and beautiful, you're starting to see people sort of relax their own behaviors in terms of interactions. So you're seeing more people congregate in groups around homes. Stores have just started to open up with some basic restrictions. We've sort of avoided that. I have zero desire to see the next bump happen or participate in it, so... We're still pretty rigid in our own practice, but I think people are starting to kind of feel it a little bit, and so you're, you're seeing some behaviors that reflect that.
0: I follow a few doctors on Twitter. I mean, they're just constantly tweeting about, please, please stay at home. You know, I promise you this is not good. Everybody walking around next to one another, I see the direct results of this. I mean, do you guys feel the same way, I guess?
1: I definitely kind of felt that way and still kind of feel that way a little bit. But, like, my perspective is so different from someone who doesn't know anybody who's been sick with this, you know, who hasn't seen the the devastating consequences of this. It's relatively small numbers here in Oregon still, but unfortunately that means we're probably going to get our bump later. Portland is a tremendously social place. I don't think I've been in another community in the U.S. that is this social. And that has this much... I don't know, like occasional magic where things just seem to happen because it's Portland. There's so much serendipity here that hasn't gone away. It's just changed how it happens. One thing that is kind of a bummer about Portland is, is that so many people here are in kind of the gig economy, right? There's so many musicians here, artists, restaurant, hospitality type jobs, and it's hard when, you know, what was it, like three weeks ago, we did little basically grilled sliders for people, allowed people like walk through our, our alleyway. And I served sliders to people on like a seven or eight foot board. People who weren't in healthcare that were our friends were categorically unemployed. And that's been hard to see.
0: When this is all at a reasonable level, or you know, I don't want to say over, um, but you know, when things are kind of getting back to normal, will you change anything on the business front? Will you change the way the brand is run, or will you just stay with the same vision, same operational kind of tactics and everything?
1: I think the one element that has really kind of been hit home or driven home for me during this and how we're going to operate the brand is having and even more direct to consumer and communicating more to consumers about what they really want and how they want to receive things. I think we might start doing like more pre-orders or reserving spots for garments instead of like making a bunch and then trying to sell that, like pre-ordering especially some of the more expensive stuff. Just ensuring that whatever we make, it's something even more so that is gonna last for a very, very long time and can be part of someone's wardrobe for years if not decades because if you can't sell it in a pandemic maybe someone doesn't really need it that much
0: i mean i saw you guys also doing stuff in which you know you're allowing people to divide their payments for instance if they can't afford to pay for what you're what you're selling at the moment right
1: that's really opened up accessibility to our brand
0: quite a lot of fashion e-commerce platforms are now instituting things like that, you know, split it up into four different payments or whatever. It used to only be for flat screen TVs and cars and sofas, but now you can, you know, you can do it with a hundred dollar product, right?
1: Yeah. I think it's just telling of the times, but people want even like a bandana or something that they kind of feel connected to or receive hope from or something that ties you to a larger community. And Even people have ordered like $38 bandanas and done quad pay where they do four different payments for it.
0: Have you guys made any mistakes in the past couple months running the company? We tried something now that didn't really work.
1: I think I probably would have ordered bandanas sooner when I noticed they started to just really fly out the door instead of being like, oh, this is great. I should have been like, this isn't going to (laughs) stop. I think that's probably the one mistake I made. And then a couple times I'm pretty conservative around like ordering supplies sometimes. And that's how we have been able to make it this long as a brand is keeping real close eyes on our expenses and our overhead. And a couple times we've run out of the little craft mailers that we send out bandanas in, even though Amanda's told me to order them like a week ahead of time. I wouldn't say we've made mistakes.
0: Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, that's uh, probably not a huge mistake. I mean, what about, you know, I know you guys, some of the leather that you use comes from deer that you guys actually hunt. I mean, you know, is that going to be possible in an era where you can't even travel, you know, out of the state?
1: Well, fortunately enough, my family has been doing this and our family has been doing this for a long enough time where we have a bunch of hides in our possession from when we've hunted them in years past. And, Usually the way that we prepare them and then my dad's friend kind of finishes them off, it takes 11 to 12 months to get them anyway. And so we are going to be receiving hides that we did two years ago.
0: Aging like fine wine.
1: Yeah, like it isn't a huge disruption that way. There will be disruptions. I'm already a little bit nervous about this fall because I had plans to go home twice to help my family prepare kind of like... The woods a little bit and to go out and do those things. But I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to go now, which is pretty sad given how much people look forward to that. And many generations, we've pretty much done that continuously.
0: And I guess finally, for both of you, what have you learned? What lessons have you learned in the past couple months is the kind of go-to question I try to ask everybody we have on this show. What are some of the top tips you would give to other entrepreneurs in your position?
2: One thing that's been really nice for us is sort of really looking critically at how we're spending our time and how we're letting stress drive our actions. You always think like, oh, here's an order that's come in. I want to get this out. I want to do this thing. And we've been able to sort of decelerate that intensity and say, okay, does this need to happen now? Can we actually just take some time for us as a couple, shut down for the night and address this tomorrow? And so I think calibrating the urgency around shipping and profit has been really good for us
0: because it's so easy to just go all in and just non-stop right
2: Carals. oh yeah 100 percent. and i have that personality at baseline both through my physician job and through gnu and and it's been a nice like do i win at all by constantly sprinting through life and so it's been really great to just sort of decelerate and appreciate moments
0: and that's it for today if you liked what you heard I'd love if you could subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And as ever, sign up to Curio Weekly, our email newsletter, for more stories of adapting and growing and maybe reopening too. That's at couriermedia.co slash sign up. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. Courier Daily's back again on Wednesday.